Hello, and a very warm welcome back to the Asset Allocator podcast. I'm Dave Baxter of Investors Chronicle. With us today, we also have our very own David Thorpe. And I'm pleased to say we have Jason Day, Senior Investment Manager at Aberdeen, to discuss all things funds, allocation, and markets. So, Jason, thanks very much for joining us. Perhaps we'll start with a maybe an attempt at a kind of optimistic note. Very difficult year, of course, for markets. Very difficult 12 months or so. Do you feel now, though, are things looking a bit brighter? You know, we're seeing kind of yields on many assets are looking higher. Arguably, valuations are looking more attractive. Does that kind of set us up for a better set of returns some point in the future? Yeah, well, thanks for having me today. And yes, you're you're quite right. Uh, Yields have certainly picked up. Uh, on fixed income markets, and that's been a, a trend throughout the year. Arguably, longer term bonds do offer some value now, and you're certainly getting a yield, which is why we've been actually adding uh, to fixed income and um, extending our duration profile. And we've been we've been doing that progressively through the year, actually, as the um, the economic outlook has um, deteriorated. In terms of valuations overall, looking at equities, well. If you think of the U.S. markets uh, entering the year, uh, hitting record high in February uh, from a valuation perspective, you were seeing forward price earning multiples of around 22 times from the S&P 500. uh, And that's reversed quite significantly to around 16 times today. So certainly from a valuation perspective, there's far better value in U.S. equities. But we would still be fairly cautious. You know, the valuation optically is attractive. But a lot of that has been driven by severe derating in terms of equities selling off in the US. So you've had multiple compression. Uh, and we think probably the next shoe to drop is actually um, earnings. Profitability has been elevated. Uh, US corporates trading at um, record high profitability uh, levels not seen since the 1950s and been able to finance their debt very effectively because of the emergency rates that we've had for the last few years. So corporate America in a very good shape uh, and able to pass on price increases to the consumer uh, with a strong element of pricing power. So earnings resilient over the last few quarters, but we would suggest that earnings are actually going to slow from here, which um, of course isn't a particularly favourable outcome for equities. Uh, So we'd be still quite cautious despite these levels. And you mentioned the uh, you've been adding to, to bonds and to duration. Is that on the govies side or govies and corporates or just corporates? Yeah. So uh, throughout the year, we've been increasing our sovereign bond weighting. So we started the year underweight sovereign bonds with a with a shorter duration profile, uh, anticipating interest rate interest rate tightening ahead, principally led by the United States. Although of course it was the Bank of England was the first major G7 country to increase rates at the end of last year. And we also entered the year fairly optimistic. We did anticipate above-trend growth from the global economy, uh, and therefore the the portfolios were orientated in a risk-facing manner. And by that, I mean overweight equities mildly, uh, and overweight credit, so investment-grade bonds and also high yield. And as the situation has uh, evolved and the economic backdrop has deteriorated, uh, we've been actually trimming risk. So we've been reducing credit and we've been reducing investment grade and high yield specifically. 
uh, so much so that that's now a neutral position. Uh, sovereign bonds, reinforcing sovereign bonds, which were underweight to neutral, uh, and also actually changing the duration profile, where it would have been uh, short duration. Uh, well, we had a short duration tilt to the gilt basket using a tracker, the Vanguard gilt tracker, uh, and also using an active short duration gilt fund to, to dampen some of that um, duration overall. So to, to answer your question in terms of activity, what we've been doing is actually building up the duration as we anticipate the economy slowing further, uh, but with eventual um, rate cuts to come, uh, central banks look to stimulate the economy once more. Uh, so we've introduced a new holding. Uh, and instead of buying more gilts, we've actually gone off benchmark and bought a US Treasury tracker uh, hedged back into sterling, which gives us um, a, bit, a bit more duration in the fixed income profile. So the direction of travel has been reducing risk on the credit side uh, and reinforcing sovereign bonds uh, as part of our um, fixed income footprint. It's interesting there, Jason, that you mentioned that the option of kind of hedging back into sterling, because I was going to ask, I suppose, one thing that bolstered returns, at least on, on paper, is the uh, kind of US dollar strength versus sterling if people have enough overseas exposure. Have you guys been thinking about that much, about the kind of potential return of sterling and, and what can you do to try and, I suppose, kind of smooth out those, those currency ructions? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very good point. Our policy has always been to hedge overseas bond exposure back into sterling, uh, the fixed income component being the stabilizers in the portfolio and providing that steady income stream, although there has been pronounced volatility in fixed income markets this year. But that, that that's the approach that we've taken and the approach that many um, discretionary fund managers take with the overseas bond exposure for sterling investors. Uh, the exception is emerging markets local currency, where you actually want that uptick in developing markets um, currency returns. So yes, it's uh, a more volatile asset class than sovereign bonds, but can give you a, a pickup in returns. And so EM local currency remains unhedged. And so the dollar situation, we've, we've actually benefited from rather heavily uh, because within our global equity uh, allocation, the US is our largest um, country weight. It's around 47% of our global basket. And strategically, long-term, uh, our position is 30% in the UK. So it's a little different from perhaps other um, DFM models that might have 50 to 60% allocated to the UK with a bit of a home country bias. We've got more of an international orientation, hence US market is the biggest in the world, hence that drives the weighting, uh, having that um, significant footprint in the US. So... Sterling investors, of course, have benefited from dollar strength uh, significantly year to date. If you look at uh, returns over the third quarter, you actually had positive returns from US equities in sterling terms, negative returns in, in US dollar terms. Uh, and during that period, you had a 10% differential uh, in the favor of the dollar relative to sterling. So it has been very strong. Will it continue? Well, certainly, um, the rate tightening trajectory is still significant, emanating from the Federal Reserve, uh, which would suggest that you, you, you have a better, better carry, better interest rate differential uh, for US assets, US rates against um, sterling and other parts of the world, which will keep the dollar elevated for some time. Maybe not at these um, 
as high as these levels, but certainly elevated. So we think that should be beneficial uh, and continue to be beneficial over the short term for UK investors. Thank you. And does it influence your allocations to US equities as well? Well, the the US equity backdrop, we've always been overweight US equities, so big starting position long-term strategically. We've been running risk-targeted managed portfolio service models for the last seven years. We've always had an overweight to uh, US equities at, at Aberdeen on the discretionary side. But this year, actually, we're underweight US equities. And it's not that we particularly dislike US equities. It's just a very large part of our global equity weighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to mitigate some of that risk. Uh, so we're underweight US, which has a has a growth bias, an, an inherent growth bias, with tech and consumer uh, and tech-related names dominating uh, the S&P 500. But as a value offset, we're actually neutral, uh, the UK. Uh, we had been overweight, the UK. So we quite like that barbell of having growth at one end of the spectrum with the US, large weighting, um, trim that to underweight, uh, neutralised our UK uh, weighting, like the value orientation. We like that whole Jurassic Park argument that was put forward by a hedge fund manager uh, a couple of years ago. It was quite a dispiriting comment about the UK um, being you know, very value-orientated um, and, and sort of prehistoric, but we quite like that. And uh, as we've entered this year, uh, materials, metals, mining and energy actually has been quite a good, have been good sectors to be in uh, and have provided fairly robust and resilient returns. So, And then, of course, the weakening of sterling, these um, large companies, these multinationals uh, listed in the UK with a lot of their earnings uh, derived overseas, that's actually quite beneficial to have uh, weaker sterling given that backdrop. So so that's re- broadly our positioning uh, relative to, to UK and US. And, and turning to, I suppose, another kind of element of portfolio construction, you mentioned earlier that, you know, with some of your bond exposures, like a lot of your peers, you're kind of using a, a tracker and then you're using a bit of kind of active how is your how is your kind of active passive mix shaping up at the minute i mean do you do you subscribe to the view that kind of turbulent times like these are better for for active i mean the kind of recent research suggested that that theory isn't really kind of proving itself lately yeah i think it really depends on the fund managers because you can very often find that vanilla quite pedestrian-looking bond funds can actually have quite a few hidden surprises you know, and go off benchmark. For example, you might think you're buying a pure UK investment-grade fund and then discover it's actually got quite a lot of emerging market exposure, you know, where the managers look to um, supersize the income, the income yield uh, from the portfolio. So I think it's important to, to do your research, dig deep uh, with the managers that you've selected but broadly, we think for traditional sovereign bonds, trackers are highly effective. Uh, you know exactly what you're getting by buying trackers, which are you know which are physical, uh, which um, have the underlying holdings that you see on the on the um, on the fact sheets and on the on the drawdown. We're not buying um, artificial stroke synthetic uh, trackers, so we know exactly what we've got uh, in that sovereign bond space. And then in terms of active, if you've got a good specialist, I mean, Royal London, short duration gilts, so their benchmark is is around five years duration. Uh, they've been positioning the fund broadly through the year, around two years. 
that's added a lot of value. So they've outperformed their index. And it's been a, a key part of our our, our guilt exposure uh, and um, has softened the overall downside from guilts year to date. So I think you have to be very, very selective uh, overall. And how about on the on the equities? How's your mix there? I mean, for example, in, in the US, we still see quite a lot of kind of wealth managers, uh, perhaps understandably from recent years, kind of using quite a big chunk of, of passive there. Yeah, I used to cover the US as a fund analyst, so I know the sector extremely well. I've done a, spent a lot of time interviewing managers and, and building screens, and we prefer to use trackers in the US for our exposure. But you take a, an active decision with the passive that you select. It, sound, it sounds pithy, uh, but there's a, there's a lot behind that because there are so many trackers on the market for US equity exposure. So we use Vanguard US Equity Index, and the benchmark that that particular strategy tracks is the S&P Total Market Index. So that includes your mega caps of the S&P 500, but it also includes mid cap, small cap, and micro cap. So you've got broadly 4,000 underlying companies, a very, very broad spectrum of, of US assets, uh, and over the long term, we would expect medium and small cap companies to add a bit of outperformance against the mega caps. So we use that as our core US equity allocation. And then for other parts of the world, we actually think that active managers can add value. So in the UK, we use active managers, we use a basket. In Europe, we think uh, there's a particularly strong cadre of active managers. So we use um quite a wide range of active managers blended together. And we've been adjusting that through the year. We've been reducing mid and small cap exposure uh, through our manager selection uh, and adding more ballast, more value uh, into that composition uh, as, as the markets have evolved. So we think that if you do the research, you can create a very robust active basket in, in Europe and the UK, and then have that um, passive off offset in the US, and obviously very, very low fees as well, which is attractive. And uh, you mentioned uh, US MID. Is exposure there offering you even more potential benefit from dollar, from dollar strength? Well, it has more of a domestic orientation, of course. S&P, mm -hmm. from memory, 30% of, of the index is uh, dominated by overseas earners. Uh, so domestic orientation is can be positive, but then it's more linked to the consumer as well. Mm -hmm. uh, if you think the U.S. consumer drives 70% of U.S. growth, then obviously you need a healthy consumer for a smaller mid-cap you know, to perform well. Uh, and at the moment, although the consumer has been pretty resilient, household balance sheets are strong, access to credit is still favorable, uh, Americans are still spending consumer sentiment is is definitely dampening. And so that's why actually overall uh, our economic forecast from our research institute actually uh, we've moved forward a, a global recession to the second quarter of next year. Um, great. I think I think that's everything I was going to ask unless David Anything else you wanted to? Yeah, sure. I think uh, looking at the uh, looking at your your fact sheets, etc., you have a significant weighting it to uh, alternatives. Now we we ask everyone this, and the reason we ask everyone this is because alternatives is such a a broad term. It can mean different things to to everybody. What does it mean to you? Yeah. So alternatives in in our universe is 
primarily global listed infrastructure mm -hmm. and global real estate investment trusts. Uh, the, the models have always had those alternative asset classes to, to varying degrees over the last seven years. Structurally, we've been increasing the infrastructure from a long-term strategic footprint and also tactically. Uh, and infrastructure we've, in some of our models is a 10% weighting. Uh, and it's added tremendous value year to date um, because of the, the energy shock um, with the, the crisis in the Ukraine uh, has enabled um, a lot of US liquid natural gas suppliers to, to actually benefit from that environment. And they're, they're fairly prevalent in the index uh, and in a number of active funds. We use a passive uh, blended with two other active funds in the infrastructure basket. And if you also think about the direction of travel, decarbonisation going forward, uh, and also the Inflation Reduction Act uh, emanating out of the United States, that's going to favour renewables, which again were a key part of infrastructure. So we've actually had positive returns in sterling terms uh, to the end of October, around 6% year-to-date from that infrastructure basket. So providing a definite value add in terms of returns uh, and also providing a level of correlation, which is rather different from mainstream equity markets, hence the term alternative. And so those infrastructure assets, are they are they there instead of equity or instead of bonds? No, that's a good question. They're, they're a complement to equities and bonds. Uh, so we think of uh, infrastructure as lower beta mm -hmm. equities, uh, providing a, a measure of relative downside protection, but uh, you have an income stream, but the advantage you have in terms of fixed income, as the term suggests, fixed, you have a fixed coupon from, from bonds, mm -hmm. whereas infrastructure, a lot of the underlying contracts are actually inflation linked. So you can have that pass through various companies able, able to increase their, their pricing in line with infrastructure or uh, in line with inflation or even beyond, which in, in this current environment is very, very attractive. Thank you. And um, are you concerned about, I, th I think we've started to see it on some of the infrastructure funds, discount rates rising? I mean, first of all, it reduces the future value of the, the present value of the future cash flows, uh, but also potentially could they have to uh, write down, uh, you know, take down their marks to market on some of the assets in these infrastructure funds? I mean, you're, you're right. For some sectors, it, it has been uh, more turbulent. So in the, in the digital sector where you have a number of um, tower companies which sure. provide 5G generation uh, and communications. So again, coming out of America, companies like American Tower. Also, the way they're structured as well, um, because they generate such um, such um, a large amount of uh, free cash flow, they're, they're structured as real estate investment trusts. And by that very structure, they're more interest rate sensitive. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they've been less defensive than renewables and uh, midstream gas suppliers in the United States, but certainly better than, than equities overall. The other parts of the infrastructure universe have actually helped propel returns year to date. But yes, uh, rising discount rates, long duration assets, it's a headwind. Thank you. And the other area that we that we hear from from allocators when they talk about alternatives is sort of absolute return funds or hedge fund type strategies. I think you recently uh, exited a position in in GARS. Was that a comment on absolute returns as a as a sector or or something else? And do you have hedge fund type strategies? So we've always had structurally alternative investments in the portfolios and also absolute return as a separate asset class. Sure, they tend to be multi strategy. 
absolute return funds, although we do have some absolute return bond funds. And we've always used a basket of which global absolute return strategies was part of that basket. The environment year to date gave us the opportunity to actually readjust the basket, Mm -hmm. to introduce some more strategies, actually um, some more absolute return bond strategies, which we thought, given this juncture, is quite quite a good entry point to either increase or introduce new talent into that basket. So you're quite right. So so GARS was repositioned out of the models. We have other funds in that basket to to, to complement other managers. Uh, And it was really just a refresh of that AR basket overall. Thank you. Great. Well, um, very interesting stuff. I'm afraid that is all we have time for. Um, I'll just say thank you to uh, to both Jason and David for joining us today. And uh, thank you for listening.